This is episode number 76, how getting my master's degree in electrical engineering has helped me as a pro mountain biker and as an entrepreneur. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. Welcome, friends. I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm so thankful that you've been listening to my show. I love, love, love being able to share the stories of so many amazing and inspiring people and occasionally sharing a little bit of my story. It's been so cool, especially lately, to see how many of you are taking screenshots of the show on your phone and sharing it on social media. It's really cool to be able to get that because while I get to see the number of downloads every single week, getting to actually connect with each and every one of you who is listening to the show is really special for me. If you're enjoying the show, I would really, really appreciate it if you could screenshot it and share it with your friends on social media or just tell them about it. And if you want to do some other things to help support my work, you can go ahead and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify Podcasts as well. You can leave a review. The reviews make a big difference. I know that sometimes it can be annoying to go do that, but man, it only takes a few seconds and really it does help with the searchability of the show. You can share it with your friends just by word of mouth. Whenever someone asks you what a good podcast is, you can tell them about my show and what your favorite episodes are. And lastly, if you want to support my work financially, we have a Patreon page. Patreon's a crowdfunding website, so basically it's donations. So even like four bucks a month makes a big difference. And there's a lot of people who are just chipping in a little bit, and it really helps with the production and growth. So thank you so much to those of you who are supporting my work on Patreon. And if you're interested in doing that, you can go to patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. And it's also in the show notes. Today is also the last day to get the special price on the pre-orders of my Moxie and Grit winter socks. We have three different kinds. We have a Duepic shit. We have a sexy beast Sasquatch. How many of those do you have in your life? And we also have a chubby unicorn with a rhino on it. So those are available for a special price for pre-order only on October 31st, which is today, is the last day to do that. So make sure that you check it out. Go to moxyandgrit.com, moxyandgrit.com, and those will ship out the first week of December. Awesome. Thank you. So today's episode is really fun. I was invited by the Western Michigan University Engineering Department to come speak there as part of their Custer Lecture Series. So each year they invite a speaker to come in and talk, and they wanted me to come and chat about my life as an engineer and how that's helped me with become who I am today. So a lot of people are actually surprised when they find out that I have my master's degree in electrical engineering. I used to work for a solar startup company outside of grad school, and I went to grad school at CU Boulder where I studied neurophysiology and biomedical instrumentation. Yep, I'm a dork. I told you guys. Sometimes I even forget I finished my master's degree because it was 11 years ago, and time flies. It really doesn't feel like it's been that long. I'm really excited to share this story and speech with you because it's so hard to know what we want to do in university or even when we get out of university. And it's not uncommon to change careers even later in life, but a lot of times we feel stuck and we don't really know how to make those changes. 
I was fortunate enough to find mountain biking, which is my passion, halfway through my undergrad. And for those of you who don't know who I am, my name again is Sonia Looney, and I'm a professional ultra endurance pro mountain biker. I'm the former 24 hour world champion, and I've set course records and won races in 25 plus countries around the world. So I found mountain biking early on. I was around age, I was around uh, age 20. So not super early. I didn't grow up as a cyclist. But I was in the engineering program at UNM, the University of New Mexico. And my first year racing was for the UNM collegiate cycling team. So that was a really great way to get into cycling. These days we have high school mountain bike leagues and even middle school mountain bike leagues, which I think is really cool. But back in my day, we had collegiate cycling. And that was a really great thing for me whenever I was first getting into the sport. This was a speech I gave a couple of weeks ago at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo. And I'd never been to Kalamazoo before, but I had been to Grand Rapids, which is about an hour away. And that was the site of my last bone break, which has been several years. And it was on an easy ride, just not paying attention, blabbing away. But this speech is about my path through my master's degree and how mountain biking began to shift my perception of what I was capable of. It's about feeling dissatisfied with the traditional path I was following because I just didn't know what else to do. Everyone else in my family was engineers and I really did love math and science. So I thought, well, that seems like a good path. This talk is about how I created my own path and never in my wildest dreams or imagination did I ever think that I'd be where I am today. I remember feeling stuck in school. I remember feeling stuck when I was working as an engineer. And I even remember, like it was just yesterday, feeling stuck, trying to figure out how am I going to be a pro mountain biker that doesn't have to have another full-time job? How am I going to create my own path? How am I going to create this life that I imagined for myself? And where is that going to go? And being open to opportunities and being flexible and learning how to believe in yourself is so key to going on your own and finding the things that you want to do. And not everybody has to go on their own to feel fulfilled in their life, but just being able to open doors and approach things, challenges, races, friendships, like whatever it may be, having the confidence to go out and do that really makes us feel like we're living a life that has a lot of substance to it. And at the end of the day, it's the substance that we remember in our lives, not our accomplishments, not how much money we made. So just making sure that we're doing things that are really important to us, to what we love, not for what somebody else thinks we should love is so important. The thing that is interesting about this talk is that I go into detail about the life lessons that being an engineer taught me and how that helps me both as a mountain biker and as an entrepreneur. A lot of times people ask me, oh, you don't work as an engineer and you spent all that time in school and you work so hard in school. Don't you regret going to school for engineering? It's such a shame. And I always say no, like I'm really thankful for that path that I took because it's really taught me a lot about myself. It's taught me about work ethic. It's taught me about patience. It's taught me about not giving up. It's also taught me about problem solving and tenacity and also being a female in a male dominated area. In grad school, I was one of two women in my program. And in mountain biking, it is more men than women for sure. And that is changing over time. But I'm comfortable being a solo female around a bunch of men in a profession. And I think that that's a great tool because a lot of times we get confused with gender lines. And this is a huge debate, a huge topic in and of itself. But my advice to women is to 
just be yourself and look at yourself as an equal. And even if the people around you aren't looking at you as an equal, you end up demanding that respect over time with your confidence and with just holding your ground. So that's really helped me um, both in mountain biking and in engineering. And once you can show them that you are equally or more capable than they are, they do start to respect you, but sometimes it can take time. All right, I'm getting way off topic here. So let's get back on topic. And here is my speech at Western Michigan University. Thanks so much for coming. This is really cool to be here. I have never been to Kalamazoo, Michigan. I've been all over the world, but this is a new place for me. So my name's Sonia Looney, and as Dr. Larry said, I'm a pro mountain biker, and my background is actually in engineering. And a lot of people are really surprised whenever they hear that, because it's not something that I tend to lead with. And I graduated with my master's degree about 10 years ago, which makes me feel really old. But it's really, really amazing that the things that we learn in school and the things that we learn by tackling challenges can set us up for whatever we want to do in our life, whether it's a PhD in engineering, whether it's going on to be a research scientist somewhere, an inventor, or even a professional athlete. Last time I was in Michigan was actually a couple years ago. I see him nodding. I was in Grand Rapids and I came here to race a 100 mile mountain bike race. And the type of racing I do is ultra endurance mountain biking. And what that means is you do really long distance stuff, 100 miles on a trail or multiple days across a country or across a region. So there's a really great hundred, well, there's actually 200 milers in Michigan now, but I was here to do one called the Lumberjack. And I was really excited because I had some friends from Michigan and Grand Rapids just had this awesome community. And we went out for just like an easy ride. And it always happens where you get hurt when you're on the easy ride. It's never riding the extreme stuff. So I was out just riding along, just talking, blah, blah. And all of a sudden this giant piece of bark got stuck inside my wheel and my front wheel stopped instantly and boom, I went down and I hopped back up and it wasn't, my wrist wasn't working anymore. And I was supposed to be going to Italy for a race and I had to cancel the race. So the last time I was here, I broke my arm. That was my last broken bone. That was about two years, two or three years ago. So hopefully we don't replicate that today. I'll try to be careful on my shoes up here. <laughs> I actually grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is the opposite of Michigan the land of enchantment. And it was a really amazing place to grow up because the courses, all the classes I took was relatively small and it was a, a really cool place to be. But before I started college, I was a nerd. Before I even got into engineering, I was a nerd, a band nerd. That's me in 1996 playing my flute. Um, I guess the video is not gonna, not gonna play, but I'm just gonna pretend to uh, play it up here. <laughs> So yeah, I was in band and I was even in marching band and I thought, well, what am I going to do in college? Like, I really like biology, but in school I was always like the top kid in math and in science and I love math and science. So those people that say girls can't do math and science are completely wrong because I helped all the boys with their homework. So my parents said, well, you know what? You might want to consider a career in engineering because I thought, well, maybe I want to go into biology. I love biology. It's really fun. And I had this really intense uh, teacher in high school named Mr. Neno, who was pretty strict, but I really loved his class. So my dad said to me, well, you know, Sonia, if you want to be a biologist, it's going to require some advanced education. So if you're just going to do a four-year degree in biology, you may or may not be able to find a job very easily. So you might want to consider engineering. 
And I looked at all my family and I saw, hmm, almost everyone in my family are engineers. Most of them have master's degrees. They're all doing well. My grandpa's a physicist. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. That makes sense. So I signed up for engineering and I really wanted to be unicorn, which I am now. <laughs> and whenever I started building my slides, I saw this circuit here because I did electrical engineering. And at first I was like, wow, I don't remember how to do that. But I chose electrical engineering. I got made fun of by all the mechanical engineers and everybody because we're geeks. And they would say, well, you can't spell geek without double E. And I said, well, you can't spell beer without double E either. I wish that they had, well, I guess we had the internet back, way back when, when I was in uh, undergrad, but e-commerce stores and things like that just weren't happening. Otherwise, I probably would have worn that shirt. So the biggest thing that I learned as an undergraduate student was problem solving. That's the best thing that we learn whenever we're in school because we're presented with all of these problems, whether it be more problems that look like this, whether it be word problems, whether it be come up with a, a creative, unique solution. And as engineers, we have to learn how to think properly. I say properly because people who aren't engineers might hear this and say, oh, maybe I'm not thinking properly. So we have to learn how to think in systems. We have to learn how to deal with trial and error. Like whenever you're doing a problem like this or any problem in your homework, you're not gonna get the right answer immediately. Like it just doesn't happen that way. So you have to go back, you have to reanalyze what you did. You have to try and think about different ways to solve problems. A really cool thing about problem solving is recently I just read, it was yesterday actually, I read an article about Alzheimer's disease and a big reason why a lot of people get Alzheimer's disease is because we stop using our brain and we stop stretching our brain in these ways. That's why they recommend doing crossword puzzles and all these different puzzles to make your brain actually think in terms of solving a problem. So if you think about what we've done, we've learned a lot about that and how we've been using that later is up to us. I found mountain biking in undergrad. I didn't grow up mountain biking. As I said, I grew up as a band nerd. I did some sports growing up, but I really identified as an academic growing up. So how did I find mountain biking? This is some crazy sport. Like people don't even know what this is a lot of the times whenever I tell them I'm a pro mountain biker. So I started running my senior year of high school. I, I thought, well, this girl that I look up to is a runner, so I'm gonna do that too, so I can be cool. Because I always wanted to be cool and I'm not quite there yet, but I'm still working at it. So I started running and I found confidence in myself through running. And it was the process of going after something that was hard and doing it for myself and achieving it. So I ran a marathon when I was 18, but the problem was I didn't know how to run. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to train. And that's just like the problem solving thing that we just talked about. Like you have to have a plan whenever you start something, even if it's a sport, there's a training program. So I kept getting hurt and I went to spin class at the gym just for some cross training because I read in a women's health magazine, go ride the spin bike at the gym if you're having issues with your knees or, or get shin splints or whatever. So I started going to spin class at the gym and I was working at Sandia National Labs and it's a research lab in New Mexico and they do a lot of amazing defense contracts and things like that. So I was working there and some of my coworkers said, well, hey, like, you're an athlete now, you're a runner, you go to spin class. How about we go mountain biking? I said, well, I don't really know what that is, but yeah, I'm in, let's, let's do this. So I got this bike out of my shed and it was my brother's bike from middle school. And really nice mountain bikes are $10,000, which might come as a shock because that's a lot of money. This bike was like $300. So that can give you an idea of the type of bike I was riding. So we went for a ride and they thought, wow, like she's actually good at this. You should do a race, Sonia. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't know anything about racing. I'm, I'm, I'm in engineering school, like whatever. Like I, I run a little bit. They're like, oh, 
you're just scared. Well, little did they know that was the button to push to get me to do something. So they pushed the button. Two weeks later, I signed up for my first race. And you might think, wow, like she's a pro now. She must have been a natural talent. Nope. I was almost one of the last people, I was the last person to finish at my first race. And let me tell you why. I signed up and it was the New Mexico State Championship. And I thought, okay, like this is a, a big first race. But there wasn't a lot of women racing at the time and there was no one in the intermediate category. So I thought, oh, I just have to finish the race and then I'm the state champion. But I didn't know anything about mountain biking. Like I had no idea. I thought, well, I've run a marathon so I can do anything. So I signed up for the intermediate category, which was way longer than the beginner category. I didn't really know how to mountain bike. I didn't know anything. So I was out there forever. <laughs> and my bike wasn't really a race bike either. So all I remember from the race was that my bike wouldn't shift. And it was, I was really annoyed and I kept having to walk. But I finished and I was so happy that I wanted to do more. So I ended up buying a proper bike and I just started racing. And fortunately, right away, I met somebody that helped me get into racing more. I met a boyfriend. But something I've learned along the way through racing, through school, through all the challenges I've done is mistakes are proof that you're trying. And I've made a lot of mistakes. A lot of times people think I made a mistake. I'm not cut out for this. Or a lot of times we'll make a mistake and we don't want anyone to know about it. And something that's been really important for me is to be able to own up to my mistakes, to accept them, to also accept credit when I do things properly. But mistakes are proof you're trying and being able to have good communication around your mistakes is something that I've found really helpful. So I finished my undergrad. I've been racing mountain bikes for two years and I thought, well, I'm not really ready to go be a full-blown engineer yet. So what am I gonna do? And like going to work in the coffee shop, like those things just weren't an option in my mind for some reason. So I thought, I know, I'll apply to grad school. I'll just do more engineering. This sounds awesome. So I applied to several schools and I really was interested in biomedical instrumentation and I got some really cool offers and the best offer in terms of an educational plan was from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, but I really wanted to move to Boulder because that's where all the cyclists were. So I thought, okay, like I'll apply to CU Boulder and I got into their power engineering program, which is even more nerdy than electrical engineering. And they said, well, we have some biomedical classes, so maybe you could make your own dissertation or project on this. So yeah, I entered the PhD program and fortunately I had a fellowship so I didn't have to spend a lot of money <laughs> on my own initially. But something interesting happened because I went from being not, you know, winning my races as an expert and I had just upgraded to a pro before I moved to Boulder. How do you upgrade to pro? That's a question I get a lot. Well, there's a national race series so you can go around racing in the United States and the more races you win, you collect points. So once you've won a certain level of races, at a certain skill level, like beginner, intermediate, then you can upgrade. So I had just gotten enough points to upgrade to pro. So I thought I'm set, like I'm smart, I'm fast, I'm cool. I'm gonna move to Boulder. I'm gonna do this engineering program. Well, this happened. The bottom fell out, everything went wrong. <laughs> so my first semester, I took three courses. And I thought, well, in undergrad, I worked 20 hours a week. I took 18 credit hours, I trained, I had a boyfriend, like I can do anything. So I thought, well, people are telling me nine credit hours is too much, like, nah, maybe it's too much for them. Well, it was, and I worked super hard, but I got two Bs and a B minus, which might not sound that extreme, but for me, I, I didn't get Bs. That just wasn't part of what I did. And also two Bs and a B minus is a 2.9 GPA. And in graduate school, especially when you're part of a fellowship, there is a minimum requirement to maintain a 3.0 GPA. Otherwise they can kick you out. So now I've like, 
I was like way up here. I moved to Boulder. I thought I was smart. And now all of a sudden I'm failing grad school. They put me on academic probation after one semester because of my 2.9 GPA. And I had a choice to make. It's like, do I quit? Do I drop out? I have a 2.9. Maybe I'm just not smart enough for this. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. Or do I keep going? Also, what happened that semester was I started racing on the pro field in Colorado, which has one of the most competitive pro fields in the entire country. And I started not doing well in my races either. I, I went from being up here to finishing almost last place in all my races. So my ego was badly bruised and it was a really, really big wake up call for me. And I had to decide for myself, is it worth it to keep going? Like, what does this mean about myself? I accidentally skipped over this because I got so excited. So our potential and what we think about ourselves and what other people think about us. That's a really interesting topic that we should all be thinking about regularly. It's a conversation I have with myself regularly is what are my expectations of myself? And it's hard because if you have expectations, it means that you want yourself to be improving. You want yourself to be up here. But what happens if you fall short of your expectations? What does that mean about yourself? How do you learn how to pick yourself up whenever that happens? So learning to fail in graduate school was one of the best life lessons I've ever had. And it was very intense because it all happened all at once. And also a relationship I was in for two or three years, that fell apart as well my first year of graduate school. So I actually started going to yoga and that was a really helpful thing for me because I was a perfectionist and I was really hard on myself. And I learned that, okay, like we need to just focus on today. We don't need to worry about anything else. We need to have self-compassion. And if you guys are interested in self-compassion, I mean, everybody should be interested in this. There's a really awesome researcher and her name is Dr. Kristen Neff and she's been on my podcast. But as a scientist, she's developed a self-compassion scale and they do all these different programs to help teach us not to be so hard on ourselves. Because as achievers, all engineers, we all, we all are achievers. Like it's hard to be in engineering school. It's hard to do well in your classes. So learning how to have a little bit of self-compassion when things go wrong is a really awesome life tool. So my life turned upside down, but that's okay. And that wasn't the last time my life got turned upside down. But the most important thing about our potential and thinking about our potential and our expectations is our mindset around that. So this is something I learned that like the, the technical aspect of this probably four years ago. There's a great book that came out called Mindset by, I believe she's a Stanford psychologist and her name is Carol Dweck. So I highly recommend picking up this book, but it's about a fixed versus a growth mindset. And I had a fixed mindset for most of my life. People with fixed mindsets avoid failure. They wanna look good. It's all about like, being smart and being perfect and, and not, not doing things where you might look the opposite. And how this happens over time is as a kid, people reward us for being talented. Like you do well at something. Oh, it's because you're a natural talent. Or if you're smart, oh, you're gifted. But what happens if you don't do well at something anymore? Does that mean that you're not smart? Does it mean that you're not talented? Does it mean you're not gifted? So how we talk to ourselves, how we give praise, how we receive praise is really important because it helps us be set up for being brave enough to try things and being brave enough to fail and to accept failure and to look at stress and setbacks as an opportunity to not look at setbacks as confirmation of, oh, I'm just not cut out for this, but to look at those as an opportunity to say, wow, this is a really great choice and chance for me to stretch and to see what I'm actually capable of because we don't learn what we're actually capable of until we actually start pushing those boundaries, until we start having those failures. Confidence comes from having those failures and then being able to overcome them over time. 
If you think back to all the things that you're most proud of, they're probably the things where, they, where you had to struggle the most, and they're probably the thing that gave you the most confidence in yourself. So a big part of changing your mindset to that of a growth mindset is to reframe your thoughts. So it's raining outside today, right? It's like, you could say, oh man, like this sucks, it's raining. Well, I could say, wow, it's so warm out. Wow, it's so green out. Oh man, it's, it's kind of cozy that it's raining out. That's just one example. And there is a really great, I, I study positive psychology a lot if you can't tell. There's a, a really great PhD psychologist named Martin Seligman and he came up with the idea of the explanatory style. An explanatory style is how you tell yourself a story. So you can apply this in cycling, you can apply this in school, you can apply this in your relationships. You have a choice of how you tell yourself a story about any situation. So this is an example, this muddy picture of me. Um, it was raining like this for multiple days in a row this year in Spain. So I was in Spain in February for a seven day mountain bike race. And it was supposed to be sunny. It was supposed to be the beautiful sunny Mediterranean escape. I live in Canada now. Um, you guys aren't too far from there, I guess, but escape the Canadian winter, go to Spain. Well, this, it was like this. And you wouldn't believe how many people were complaining like before the start, they're all just like this, like standing there all like angry. And that was their choice. That's about their, their mindset that they chose. Me, I was excited. I was like, screw this. I, don't, I can't control the weather, but I can control how I feel about the weather. So I'm just gonna get out there. I'm gonna warm up. I'm gonna have fun. I'm gonna have an adventure. I'm gonna get really muddy so I can have cool pictures for my presentations. And I literally had fun. Like I had more fun when it started raining compared to when it wasn't raining. And that can be a huge strength. And as an athlete, as an endurance athlete, for me, my mindset is and mental toughness is what sets me apart from everybody else. It's get, getting fast is one thing, but at the top level, like people aren't gonna be that much different in terms of speed because we've all been working at it for years. It's gonna be what's happening in here that sets you apart. And it's the same in, in anything you do. In this, this picture here with the rocks, like people said, oh God, I'm gonna die. Like it's so rocky, it's so crazy. The year before that was actually raining as well. So maybe I brought the rain today, you can blame me. But look at challenges as excitement. I was excited to ride this because I knew it was in my ability level. And whenever I did it, I had that feeling of, whoa, like I actually did it. Like little kids have that feeling, but as adults, if we don't push ourselves, we never get that feeling. So confidence comes from effort. It comes from putting yourself out there, from working hard. And with a growth mindset, if you wanna be rewarding your employees that work for you, or you wanna reward your kids or your nieces and nephews, whenever they come home and they did something, don't praise the grade or the final result or whatever. Praise their effort. Praise, if they worked hard, say, wow, like you worked really hard on that. Congratulations, like you earned that. And that's something that's really hard for me on a daily basis because Race results are based on not just you, they're based on other people. It's how you do relative to other people. So you could be in the best shape of your life and you could go to a race and everything could go wrong. Like you could have flat tires, you could crash, you could get lost, or maybe people are just better than you. So how are you gonna feel at the finish if everybody was faster than you, but that was your best effort in the world? I try my best to feel proud of that effort, but there's still part of me that has that fixed mindset that's stuck on the end result. So again, we need to celebrate the effort, not the results, doing things over and over again and learning how to work hard are things that I learned in school. Because whenever you're in school, you have all these classes to do. You have midterms, you have homework. Some people have jobs. Some people like do lots, have other hobbies they're doing. We learn time management. We learn how to work hard. And that is a skill that has helped me in my entire life. Like that is another thing that I would say sets me apart as an athlete and also as an entrepreneur 
a lot of athletes, it's, it's really, really challenging to be an athlete and then to do other things on top of that. And I would say that my work ethic is the thing that's helped me with that. In school, we also learn how to learn, but we also learn about ourselves because think about that feeling whenever you worked really hard and you did an exam and then you turn it in and then you're waiting for it to come back and like you feel your heart pounding because the exam's coming back and you're hoping that you got the grade that you wanted and you have to learn, okay, how do I deal with this stress? How am I gonna deal with this grade that I got? Because it's done already. And how am I gonna get better for next time? And being able to do that helps you not be so anxious about the grade or what other people are gonna think about your grade. So I started working after I finished grad school. I decided not to get a PhD because I really wanted to be a pro mountain biker. So I stopped at a master's degree and that was the right thing for me. So I started working for a startup company because I still, you, maybe you wanna call me like, like Peter Pan, because I still don't want to grow up and, and work <laughs> in a full-time, full-time role. But I worked for a solar engineering company in Boulder. And it was great because I still work 35 hours a week and I had to wear multiple hats working for this company. I had to learn about business, I had to learn about marketing, I had to do engineering. And it was a great way to expose me to other things that I had never been exposed to before. And also I got to see the people that started this company were just engineers. They weren't some like crazy like entrepreneur who read this special book. They just said, this is a cool idea. I'm just going to do this. So having that, that example was really powerful. But I still wasn't super passionate about engineering. Like I loved the challenge. I loved like the schoolwork, which sounds crazy, but I did. But I didn't really like the practical application. It wasn't for me. Um, it was something that I could have done and I could still do, but it just wasn't my calling. And I had this thing in front of me, being a pro mountain biker. I want that to be my calling. And pro mountain bikers, a lot of them don't get paid. So it's not like NBA where you're making like millions of dollars and like you're on TV. It's, it's more of a grassroots sport. So how to get paid as a pro mountain biker is by either being on a team or having and or having sponsors. And that's really hard to show value to a company so a lot of times you're just passionate about the sport and you're actually not making any or much money doing it. So I was working here, I was racing and I was still doing, so my, my intro to racing, the first like six years of racing, I was doing short course racing. So that means that the races were only maybe an hour to an hour and a half long. So they were definitely shorter. So I thought, well, I'm only average as a pro in these, in these races too. I was coming maybe like 20th or 15th. I was never winning any races. So I thought, well, I'm just gonna start a blog because this is kind of cool, like all the rides I'm doing, all the trails I'm going to, it's beautiful. I'm just gonna post pictures, I'm gonna post stories. But when I started a blog, it was actually, the blog started in undergrad actually. And I remember having my internship friend helping me with the HTML coding, because that's how old blogging was. So as blogging grew and I wanted to make my blog look cool, it was easier because I had taken coding in school, I had learned how to think systematically, and I also knew where to ask for help. So. I started this blog and I didn't realize what was gonna happen with this blog. Well, what happened was I wrote a review about a backpack that one of my sponsors had given me. And I thought, well, this is a really cool backpack. I'm just gonna write about it. And what happened is it sent so much traffic to this company's website that they're like, wow, this person's actually selling our backpack. I'm gonna contact her. And like, that wasn't even my intention. I just thought it was a cool product and I wanted to write about it. And this was in 2008. So the company contacted me they said, well, we'd really love for you to come be on our team, which was a European-based team. And they also said, well, we also want you to start doing some marketing work for us. So I, I was like, well, I'm kind of working for this other company, but I'll just try and do both. So I was going to events, trying to be a pro, working part-time in marketing, doing my engineering job, and it just got to be too much. So I went to this company and I said, okay, like I need to like leave my job if I'm gonna do more, so you have to offer me a position. 
So they ended up offering me a position in marketing. So, hey, come take over our, our marketing department and travel around the country and teach people how to sell our product, teach people why our products are the best. And my engineering degree actually helped with this because it was an ergonomic bicycle grip company. So I got to do some product development work and it also gave me some credibility when I was in bike shops saying, hey, like you should buy this awesome grip. And I also did a lot of biomedical instrumentation so I could talk technically about anatomy and physiology. But also I had never done marketing. Like I got offered a job in marketing. Like, no, had I ever taken a marketing class? Nope. So again, it was the confidence from overcoming challenges in school that made me think, and as an athlete, to say, well, okay, I'm just going to switch careers. I'm just going to go try this marketing thing. And being able to think in terms of systems like we do in school, being able to break down what is a marketing strategy and then create a system for each one and see how it works. And also using trial and error. In marketing, it's like a lot of companies think it's like this black magic, which it kind of is sometimes. But basically, it's consumer behavior, and you have to use trial and error to see what they're going to do. You have to learn how to analyze data. So it's a really cool thing. Also, I thought, uh, I don't want to do this cross-country racing, the short stuff anymore. Let me try a longer distance race. So I signed up for one of the hardest 100 milers in the country in Breckenridge, Colorado. And I didn't know how to race 100, so I just said, I'm just going to go ride it and see what happens. And then I ended up getting second place. And I thought, wow, I guess I'm good at this endurance thing. So I started doing more and more of that. So I started traveling around the United States and racing endurance races at the bike shops where I was teaching people how to, how to sell the product. I also started doing my own talks because I just, I loved helping people. And that's the platform of how I got to where I am today. But I wouldn't be where I am today without these three things. Being able to pick myself up and keep going having the growth mindset to tell myself, I can learn more, I'm capable of more, like my potential is not fixed. And learning how to manage time, because when we're doing all these different things, it's really hard to fit it all in. And a thing to be careful with time management is that just because you can do it all doesn't mean that you should. And that's something that I'm really working on. Like I'm prone to burnout because I have so much energy, I have so much capacity to do so many different things that I'll end up working all the time. So being able to have a little bit of balance in your life is really important. Also, I can figure shit out. Like going to school, doing all the things I did really gave me the confidence to say I can figure shit out. So then after that, I started doing epic shit. And this is my tagline for what I do because I believe that we should do the things that we want. Like school aside, like what are the things that you want to do? Think about this. We all have things we want to do in our lives. Maybe we think I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know how to do it. What if I can't? What if I fail? you gotta do it. Like, look at me, if I didn't do it, I wouldn't be here today doing all these cool things that I've gotten to do in my life because I was brave enough to try. So I started racing multi-day races, seven-day mountain bike races. This was a 10-day mountain bike race. This was in Nepal. And I thought to myself, well, I've done hundreds, I got my master's degree, I've run a marathon, I switched careers, like I can do this. No woman had ever finished this race before. So the race is the highest mountain bike race in the world in the Himalaya and it goes over 18,000 feet. So this picture was taken at about 15,000 feet. And I did a TED talk on this race, which you guys can watch, but it was a really hard thing for me to go to this race because I had never really traveled outside North America and going to Nepal, basically I had a friend go with me, basically like by myself, um, racing by myself, like that was really intimidating. And the race itself was super remote. Like if something bad happened, you can't just like get in a car. You're in the middle of the Himalaya by yourself and if something happens, the race keeps going, but you have to turn around and go back the way you came by yourself. 
And also altitude sickness. You could be the most fit athlete ever living at altitude and you could still get altitude sickness and that can kill you. So when I landed in Kathmandu, this is what it looked like. And this was a big culture shock for me coming from North America where we have nice streets and stoplights and there's rules, but this was nuts. Like there was swirling cars and there was cows in the middle of the road and dogs and there was no rules of any kind. So that was really crazy to be able to see that and to start having those experiences. And the power went out every 30 minutes. So this is kind of what the course profile looked like of this race that I did. And it took us 10 days to get over, but not, day nine went to here. So day nine, you have to get to the top of that mountain. And this is kind of what I'm talking about when I said it's remote. Like if something goes wrong with your bike, guess who's fixing it? You are. So being confident with tools, having the ability to look at your bike and say, what's wrong? Like, look at this system. How can I break this down and actually fix it? Well, that's really powerful and really empowering, especially a lot of people think girls don't know how to work on bikes or girls don't know how to work on cars or girls don't know how to do anything. It's like, no, like you can definitely do it. So we had to start at 4.30 in the morning. This is again, day nine of 10 of this race. And you had to hike your bike in the snow up to 18,000 feet. And you had to also devise your own carrying harness for your bike because nobody wants to carry your bike like this for three hours. So I made my own harness for the bike so I could just wear the bike like a backpack and it had buckles and all these things. And I don't have a picture of it, but I made it, I made it to the top with my bike. And I was so excited because I thought, sweet, like all I have to do is ride one more day. I'll have won this race. I'll have been the first woman to finish this race. And I thought it was all good. But it didn't go to plan. There's actually a video of this in the TED Talk. I started going down the backside of this mountain and I didn't have any brakes. My hydraulic disc brakes stopped working. And that's because nobody does product testing at 18,000 feet. Nobody goes up there. Why would you with a bike? So there was oil coming out, the seals were blown and it was game over. So I had to walk for seven hours to get to the finish line. Fortunately, I was far enough ahead of the next girl where by the time I got to the finish line, there was still a chance for me to win the race. But I thought it was over for me because there's no bike shops out there. There's no spare bikes. Unless I could fix it, which I couldn't, then I would be done. And it was 42 miles the next day. I can't walk 42 miles in one day. Like I ran a 10K race on Sunday, actually. And I'm still like limping and I was like Frankenstein through the airport. So like definitely I wouldn't be able to even run 42 miles. So I thought it was over. And I had to say to myself, okay, like, is this a failure? In this moment, I felt like it was a failure, but then I had to say, no, success was showing up here. Success was training for this, for being brave enough to try, for getting this far. Success was getting over the pass. No, this was successful. Fortunately or unfortunately, a friend of mine got sick and my worst nightmare happened to him and he had to quit the race, but he had to ride a yak down the backside of the pass and someone brought his bike. So I was able to take his bikes, a break off his bike, and I was able to finish the race. So I was the first woman to finish it, which was awesome, but not without epic failure. <laughs> and this photo isn't me, but this was, I did a race in Poland in July this year, and this was actually in the photo roll. So, and I remember this downhill, so I was happy that I had this picture, but not so happy for that guy. But that's what happens, and I learned. So I went back the next year and I said, okay, like I'm gonna ask other people what brakes they use. I'm gonna go back and do this race again. That way it actually goes smoothly. And it was great. I was like hyper paranoid. I even brought in an entire closed system, like with the calip from the caliper to the lever and the, the hose. I had it in my backpack in case the brakes failed. They worked, it was awesome. And the backside of the pass this time was snowy. So you couldn't ride it anyway. So even though I could ride it, I still had to walk, but I was happy that my brakes worked and I finished the race again for a second time. 
And then I thought, well, this is great. Like, I love this experience of getting to travel the world and see things and take on these extreme world challenges. What else can I do? So I went to Mongolia and I did a 550 mile mountain bike race across Mongolia. And how do you plan for something like this? Well, go back to your systems, your trial and error, your ability to make spreadsheets. And I made a pack list and I devised a plan for myself. And I also studied some physiology, like, okay, how do you do this? So I did this crazy race in Mongolia, which I don't recommend. <laughs> then I thought, well, you know what? I've been in the highest place on earth. I've been in like one of the most barren places on earth. Why don't I go to the hottest place on earth, the Sahara Desert? So I did a mountain bike race across the Sahara Desert. And this was interesting because there was a part of the race where you actually had to walk through sand dunes. You can see I made my own shoe covers and I taped them so that sand wouldn't go in. You can see I'm laughing there because people were complaining. This was only like maybe five kilometers, three miles hiking through the sand. And people were just like, this sucks. Like I hate walking my bike. But again, the mindset reframe, like this is crazy. I'm walking my bike in the Sahara Desert and there's camels and all kinds of crazy stuff. So being able to, again, work on that and just change my explanatory style, change the way that I tell myself about the conditions and what's happening has been helpful. Then I thought, well, okay, like how about Sri Lanka? I actually signed up for this race before even knowing exactly where Sri Lanka was, which made it enticing. So I went to Sri Lanka and there was a, a mountain bike race there. All of these experiences I've had, starting from undergrad, starting from really, I would say, running my first marathon, has built upon itself to show me that I'm so much more capable than I ever, ever, ever imagined. Like, I never thought that I would be doing what I'm doing today. Just, I didn't. But how I did it is I always focused on what I could do, not what I couldn't. I never said, I can't do this. And that's because of my dad, who is an engineer. And quick anecdote about my dad is when I would do math problems and I wanted help with my homework, he would actually grade my homework, and if I did it wrong, he'd give me five more problems just like it and force me to do like repeatedly until I stopped making mistakes. So that was really annoying. But he told me, I'd be like, I can't, Dad, I can't. And then he'd say, it's not can't, it's won't. Whenever you say you can't do something, that's your choice. You're choosing not to do it. So you won't do it. It's not can't. And that's been a really impactful thing in my life. Well, I decided to turn my life upside down again, and I went to Vancouver for a mountain bike race. And I ended up meeting a guy there, whoa. And I thought, man, like I really like this guy. And I was somebody who like wouldn't live with a boyfriend. I was very independent, had like broken up with like multiple year relationships. But I met this guy and was like, this is it. I'm moving to Canada. So six months later, I moved to Canada. And everyone's like, what are you doing? Like you're psycho, what, Canada? Yeah, you should hear the things my mom was saying. It wasn't pretty. So I turned my life upside down again. I moved to another country and in that year, or in the next two years, I got married. I ended up quitting my job, doing the sales and marketing job because I wasn't growing anymore and I had become too complacent. I quit my team because there was no more room for growth. I wasn't getting paid on my team. And I had sponsors coming to me just on my own because of my social media and my blog that wanted to pay me. So I quit my team. I started my own team. I started a marketing consulting company. Yeah, that's, I did that all in like a really short period of time. But the reason I was able to do that is because I had had my life turned upside down before and I realized, okay, I got through that. What else can I do? And it was also helpful to have supportive people around me that believed in what I was doing. And on my podcast, I interviewed tons of high performers in all different categories, entrepreneurs, athletes, authors, like, and they all say the same thing. Surround yourself with people who are going to help you achieve your goals and who are going to say positive things to you, not negative. 
Then I thought, okay, well, I've won all these races around the world. I've set multiple course records around the United States and Canada. What's missing? Well, how about 24-hour racing? And I was a four-time national champion in like team 24-hour racing. And 24-hour racing is you have 24 hours. There's a set course. So there's like a loop you can ride and it's usually about an hour. So it'd be like going on the trail here and having like a 10 or 20 mile loop, depending on the course. And it's whoever does the most laps in 24 hours. And there's a pit you come through. So it's kind of like Formula One where you, you can choose to stop. And then there's people there to like help you get more food, change your batteries for your lights. And the world championship just happened to be in California. So I had done like long races. I'd done 18 hour solo races, but I'd never done a solo 24 and I really wanted to. So I thought, world championship's a good place to start. Let's do this. So there's people from all over the world that came for this race, really experienced people. And I thought, well, I'm just gonna create my own system again. I'm gonna make a plan. I'm gonna break it down into digestible pieces that make sense with my nutrition, with my training, with my lights, with my timing, with my pacing and see what happens. Well, it's not pretty because that's what it looks like, but I ended up winning the race and I ended up becoming the world champion from this race. And it was because of all the different things I had done as a racer, as a person. And I thought, well, why can't I win the world championship? A lot of times we'll say, well, like I've never done one before, therefore I can't win. And we build our own glass ceiling over our head. We put our own limitations on ourselves. But if I had put that limitation on myself just because I had never done it before, I never would have been the world champion. So imagine the things you can do if you don't put limitations on yourself. So in BC, I had to relearn how to mountain bike because it's really, really technical. It's steep, there's jumps. The downhills are so steep, it's hard to even walk down. And that didn't happen in Colorado and New Mexico and Utah and all these places I was racing and anywhere else I had been in the world. So I had to relearn how to ride. It was incredibly humbling because I was a pro and I show up into the town where I live. It's a town of about 120,000 people. And everyone expected me to be this like badass pro in town who's gonna like kill everybody. No, I was like walking the downhills, like everybody was ahead of me. But I again had to say, okay, well, I'm gonna learn how to do this. I might not know how now, but I'm gonna learn how to do this. So how do you learn how to do this? Well, it's physics. Make your free body diagram. Think about forces. Think about that all the different angles on the bike. So when something's really steep, if the front of your bike is down like this, that's not good. So you want to get a bike where it's going to tilt you up a little bit more. And there, there's a lot of things you could I could go into with suspension and getting your suspension set up right, buying a bike, choosing the tires so you have best traction for the terrain, tire pressure, temperature variations. There's just it's an engineering problem all over again. So having that in my back pocket is really helpful. And now I can do stuff like this and it's the most fun thing ever. So after, this is where I'm at now, I'm still racing as a pro full time, but over the last couple of years, it got too easy again. Like, oh, I have all my own sponsors. I know how to figure all this out. And again, how I got all my own sponsors was it was about value. And this is the same. If you're applying for a job, anything you're doing, how am I gonna bring value to this person who's gonna give me money? So it's not about me, it's about them. So like, that's how I have written all of my sponsorship contracts is how am I gonna bring them value? How am I gonna help people know that their products are the best? How am I gonna basically tell a story around this product? And it's really helpful to be on my own versus on a team because on a team, they tell you what products to use. They tell you, this is the bike you're riding. This is the helmet you're wearing. This is the nutrition products you're using. Even if you don't like it, like it's too bad for you and you have to promote it. As an individual, I get to go to these companies and say, I really believe in your product. I really want to use it and it's authentic to me. And that builds a much stronger brand whenever you're giving people advice because, well, now it's my choice. 
So also I've started a sock company this year called Moxie and Grit, and it's really fun. So I have something to give away actually, but these are all from like being confident to start my own company. Okay. Like, look at all the things I've done. I know how to set up a website. I know how to sell stuff because of all the experiences I've had in the past. I'm working on writing a book. Well, that's from deciding to start a blog. I have a podcast. Well, that's easy because I'm, I'm a speaker and I love it and I love talking to people. I'm really interested in high performance habits and how we do things in our lives to be the most efficient, healthy, and happy. So all these different things have started at the pyramid of going to school and have built, 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 built on each other. And I also talk about plant-based lifestyle, plant-based diets, and that is, again, looking at physiology, reading research papers, all things I learned how to do in grad school. And these are things, again, I use every single day. I still help with product development with my sponsors. They send me products before they're released to market and I use them and then I give my feedback. Okay, like, what do you think of this helmet? What do you think about the position of the visor? What do you think about the material? Here's a bike. Or what do you think about the suspension? How does it work in different conditions? How is it working for you? How would this work for somebody who weighs more than you? And so it's just about experimenting with those things. I had to put this up here because I don't know how many electrical engineers or coders there are in the audience, but this is a linked list. And I just remember I had this uh, TA and he just got really angry because we couldn't figure out linked lists. So I just had to put that in there. <laughs> more of a personal joke, I guess. These are the things that are the most important. Every single day, no matter what you're doing, and we learn these in school, confidence, work ethic, time management, problem solving, tenacity, and self-teaching. How many times have you had to teach yourself something? Like, I remember my uh, project for undergrad, we had to design a, a robot that did object avoidance. And we had to teach ourselves a lot of that because we didn't actually know how to do that stuff. So just being confident enough to teach yourself something is, is super helpful. Like. Not everybody believes that they can teach themselves something. They think, oh, like, I can't do it. But we don't think that. We're engineers. We think, I'll figure out how to do this. Have you guys seen the website? It's like engineering fails. It's like, there's like duct tape and all these bad things that people have done. That's kind of like, yeah, that could happen. <laughs> so yeah, I've been able to, to do all these things. I've raced in all these countries and some of these flags may or may not be recognizable, but what drives me is personal growth. What drives me is trying new things, by going to a race where I don't know where it is or what's gonna happen or how I'm gonna perform. Doing stuff where I know what the outcome is gonna be is boring. So by always chasing that growth, that's taught me to keep pushing and I can always do more. And the real question that's hard now, now that I've done all these crazy endurance races, is where's the line? Like, where's the limit? So for me, I've decided that limit is, is it gonna be mostly fun? <laughs> There's a race that goes, it goes from the Canadian border, like it goes from where, near where Seattle is, Bellingham, down to Mexico, called the Tour Divide, but that doesn't sound fun to me. So I actually ha do have my own limits. <laughs> I'm still a geek girl at heart. And something else that I really wanted to point out, and I don't know what the statistics are anymore, but when I was in grad school, I was basically one of two girls in my class. There wasn't a lot of women in my program. Is it still like that? Yeah, okay. Seems like it's getting better. Also, mountain biking and cycling is a male-dominated sport. So being a female in engineering has actually really helped me because sometimes people, women or men, you don't, we don't look at each other as equals. And we should because I didn't even think about this when I was in grad school. I didn't think, well, poor me, there's no other girls here. I never thought that in mountain biking or in cycling, like I'm in a male-dominated sport, like poor me. I don't, I don't feel bad for myself. You just work, you work hard and you just expect the best out of yourself. And you can't pay attention to all the negative chatter about 
how hard it is to be a female and all those things. It's true that, you know, as a female, there's less in some of these sports and some of these professions, but you can't let that bother you. It's about being your best. And that's really helped me and being in all these male dominated industries. So I'd love to connect with you guys. I'm really active on my social media. So follow on the social media. If you have any questions that come up, if you have any thoughts, I'd love to hear from you. And you can find my podcast on sonyalunu.com as well. And I think that you guys would find a lot of those people on there really interesting as well. Thanks. Woohoo, I'd love to hear what your thoughts were on that talk. I'm always looking to improve my speeches. And if something resonated with you, share that as well. I would love to hear from you. And thank you again for listening to this podcast. After all the crazy travel this fall, I've been traveling a lot. Like I was going somewhere every single week, which meant traveling twice a week because you have to travel there and travel back. So I'm home for at least a month now. And that is my first long break of the entire year. I also got a puppy named Baxter. So if you guys have seen him on Instagram, he has his own Instagram account too, Baxter Loves Treats. But it's been really awesome having a puppy and I'm excited to write something or maybe even record a podcast on what it's like to actually have a dog because I've never had a dog before and many of you do have dogs, but the perspective definitely changes and it's really cool to have this like sweet little soul that's waiting for you just when you get done with a meeting or you come in from a bike ride. It's just so amazing and so healing in so many ways. And if you made it this far in the podcast, congratulations. I'm almost done. I just lastly want to invite you to the Plant Power Tribe. Plant Power Tribe is a community group. It's a Facebook group. So you can join it just by typing it into Facebook, Plant Power Tribe with Sonia Looney. And everybody's welcome. And basically, it's just a place where we talk about healthy eating and just healthy habits in our lives. You don't have to eat plant-based. You don't have to be a vegan. You just have to be interested in eating well. And this concept of tribe is so important because we mimic the people around us. We mimic the behaviors, the thoughts, the energy of the people that we surround us with ourselves with, not only in person physically, but also online. So what do you want to manifest in your life? What kind of energy and what kind of media, what kind of reading, what kind of people do you want to let in? And I think that this group has been really cool because it's really non-judgmental and everybody just is there to help each other. And I'm so thankful to have that community. There's over 1,300 people in our group. I also have a Plant Power Tribe Instagram account where I post things almost every day of meals and recipes and nutrition information, which some of it I also share on the Facebook group. But I don't share everything on the Facebook group because I don't want to dominate it. I want the group to be not about me. I want it to be about everything everybody. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining me for another episode of the Sonia Looney show. I can't believe how long this has been going on for. We're on episode 76 and I can't wait for us to be on episode 150. Like, can you imagine 150 episodes? So that's, that's kind of a goal that's been in my mind is to see where I'm at after 150 episodes. So again, thank you for being part of my community. I love you guys. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week. 